Hey guys, you're listening to Leaving a Legacy. You don't have to scoop to anyone. Right. Even it, your mom, you know, and she's <laughs> in the top eight, and you're going to hop around, man. So we're going... <laughs> we moved into the balls deep portion of the <laughs> There's some things you just can't find, but... Like, like Mex- Mexican food, you can't buy Mexican food. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everyone, back to another awesome episode of Leaving a Legacy. Uh, I'm your host, Jerry Mee. Uh, unfortunately, Adrian is not with us tonight, but it's quite okay. I'm joined by my trusty co-host, Pat. How's it going, Pat? What's up, man? Not much. And filling the gap left behind Adrian, we have a very special guest, uh, MTG finance personality, official Wizards of the Coast coverage. Not so much personality, but man behind the scenes. <laughs> He's getting there. He's getting there, people. <laughs> we have the one and only Corbin Hostler. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on the cast, guys. I'm uh, looking forward to talking legacy. That's definitely not something I get to do very often, so this will be fun. Hell yeah. Good to have you on. I mean, both me and Pat, you know, huge fan of Brainstorm Brewery, uh, your regular podcast. Uh, so awesome speaking to you over the interwebs. <laughs> yeah, this would be great. So uh, to address the elephant in the room right off the bat, because we know it's on every the tips of everyone's tongues, uh, we're here to talk tonight about the changes uh, to the SCG lineup and kind of what it means to Legacy. And we thought it would be awesome and refreshing to kind of have a uh, devil's advocate in the room and having someone that is not on the rah-rah legacy bandwagon, uh, and uh, ho- hopefully Corbin can step up to that role. Uh, I'll do my best. I <laughs> I do enjoy legacy, and I used to be very into it, but I definitely think I can fulfill the devil's advocate role when we talk about it tonight. Excellent. And also, this is just a message to all our listeners. So Corbin's an awesome guy coming on and you know filling the shoes of a opinion that many of you guys probably don't agree with. So I don't want to see any of you guys sending any hate mail or Twitter <laughs> things or, you know, mailing poop to Corbin's doorstep. <laughs> send all poop my way. Let it be known. I, yeah. yeah, send the poop. Send the poop to you guys. But I, I accept all hate mail. I enjoy it. <laughs> if, if you're going to mail anyone poop, uh, you can send it to Celso at Balduvian Bal- uh, Bears. He's, he's gladly accepting all poop. <laughs> That's Jerry's nemesis, by the way. Just... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, right off the bat, Corbin, in no whole bar, what is your opinion of the Star City Games announcement? Right, so, of course, the the Star City Games bomb, and I, I know we probably don't have time to cover absolutely everything they said, because they said quite a bit. But mm-hmm. in a nutshell, uh, there's only one Legacy event for the first four months of the season. That's, yep. uh, that's, I mean, that's a big deal. For the being the company that essentially... <laughs> kept legacy afloat for years with the open series every single weekend taking away that much support means uh, quite a bit in terms of what they think about the future of the format okay okay pretty harsh and <laughs> i i'm going to counter that with i actually feel given the outpouring of support for legacy and all the recent announcements we've had since the star city announcement I am actually now on the fa- I was at, yeah, this doesn't really matter, to now I'm thinking this might be the best thing that's happened to Legacy in quite some time. Okay, well, what makes you, I mean, what are your, what, what do you think that this will 
um, you know, what on its face maybe is a negative, how do you think it will be turned into a positive for the format? So to kind of start off, when I first read the announcement, I actually did not think it was a big deal at all. I read it, I'm like, oh, okay, they're changing some things and they're cutting a few legacy events, but whatever. Because I thought, well, Star City Games has been weaning us off of legacy uh, for quite some time now, and we've been getting our fix elsewhere. What I was more up in, up in arms about was the fact that they were getting rid of the cash prizes and switching to a prize wall. Right. And yeah. I, I know Pat Pat likes to chime in on about prize walls. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk <laughs> about that later. When, when, that'll be the stinger at the end of the cast. will be just me 20 minutes going on how much I hate prize walls, but mm-hmm. we'll get to that later. <laughs> um, but in a nutshell, what I feel is we've kind of gone gr- grown complacent with Star City Games being the sole benefactor of Legacy. And I'll give Star City Games credit. Legacy would not be where it is today without Star City Games. They definitely popularized the format. But just because they popularized the format does not mean they are the sole overlords of the format. People have the taste for Legacy, and they want that fix no matter who's it's gonna, who, who's going to give it to them. And now that Star City Games is kind of stepping down out of the picture... That's leaving a vacuum that isn't just going to collapse in on itself. It's going to be filled by other individuals, and we've already seen a number of other stores and individuals uh, posting that they are starting up uh, pretty large and pretty significant uh, legacy events to fill that need. And while it may not be a traveling show, because it's the one game in town of Star City Games, it's going to be a lot more localized and regionalized which I think is going to be good for the format because it's going to mean instead of having one homogenous meta, we're going to have several regional metas that can compete with each other. Okay. So, yeah, I, you know, and when we originally talked about this on Twitter, I looked at it as, and I sort of came to this thesis when Modern was announced. It was that Wizards wanted to support Eternal formats, but they were unable to support legacy in the way that they wanted because of the reprint uh, reserve list it was just those cards going to be reprinted it was never going to happen therefore they created modern to me that signaled wizards sort of pulling out of the legacy game and now it you know with this announcement it's hard not to believe that star city is doing the same you know i certainly believe that there's a void that uh, can be filled by more regional tournaments and things like that but you have to ask why star city is creating that void if it was so if it was more popular than modern or had a better future uh, why would they move away from it at all and that's that's sort of the impasse and i've spent a lot of time over the last couple of days uh, or at least in the last 24 hours of recording this cast <laughs> i know it, fe- it feels like a week since the announcement yeah. <laughs> all the explosive yeah. comments <laughs> I, i've spent a lot of time like just trying to dig into both sides and present arguments to myself in written form, uh, you know, not to, to spoil my article this week or whatever, <laughs> but I'm trying to look at both sides of it fairly. And it's just really hard um, to look at this and say, if this was the future, why is Star City quitting it? I mean, they had basically a monopoly on it. If this continued to be the most profitable thing for them to do, they would do it. And it's just hard to read them pulling that support uh, as anything but, uh, you know, a negative for the growth of the format. So I can definitely see that, but I think it's a more complex issue under the surface. Um, I view it as kind of a more boutique setting. Star City Games is kind of like your Walmart. They are in every town across the country. Everyone knows their name. You know, 
say what you will about them being the evil empire and Walmart, you know, I, I feel the comparison's pretty accurate. There. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, and while that's great for the masses in something, a format like standard or even limited, it's not really that great for something like legacy, which I view as a more boutique format that, um, legacy definitely has its strongholds in the country and i agree this change is probably going to suck for a lot of people that were looking forward to star city games as their sole legacy event in their area i i agree it, it sucks for you guys but for the rest of the country that already has a developed legacy culture taking out star city games is just them saying we cannot compete uh in a profitable sense and have a homogenous distributed model across the entire country why are we going to only focus on these specific areas that already have their local strongholds uh when we can focus on the bigger picture in the entire country and i think it's just a matter of it's not their specialty and it's not profitable for them to compete with other people whose specialty is legacy okay so i guess i mean you know when we actually have the ability to spell out our thoughts here it sounds like we're saying very much the same thing that legacy is not something that is going to be able to appeal everywhere all the time right yes i i agree but i feel where we mainly differ is i feel you have a very much uh end end game in mind for legacy where eventually it's just going to peter out where i don't see that ever happening to legacy do you see it going the way of vintage because when i think about legacy 10 years from now i think it's like vintage where people want to play it but dual lands are $400 and it's just so out of reach to people that it's just this format that maybe you get a win a box together at a GP or you have eternal weekend every year and that's it. Uh, I can see in a very distant future that happening and it's very hard for us to actually base these arguments on hard statistics because wizards doesn't release right. the numbers and even if right. they release the numbers it's impossible to tell you know how many underground seas are there compared to how many black lotus but what i do know at the very least is there are more versions of underground sea across all of its printings compared to versions of black lotus right and it's a pretty significant increase when you factor in, you know, foreign black border, unlimited, revised, and also what other people have suggested of, you know, including collector's edition uh, uh, dual lands. There's a much greater capacity for dual lands compared to power, and I feel we're nowhere near that kind of limit where uh, supply is not the issue. Because if you go on any website, you can buy dual lands. I'll be concerned about legacy when I start going to major online retail, real, uh, well, online <laughs> retail stores. Thank you, <laughs> um, and not being able to purchase dual lands. But as it stands, I could go to dozens of retail stores and get a wide variety of prices on and conditions and uh, languages and quality. You can find these cards. And that's one of the things that when I was trying to look at this and counter my own arguments is that I also kind of realized that like there's no for all the talk of there's only so many of these in the world because of the reserve list. We've never actually run out like we've had more modern cards hit zero in stock on TCG player than we've had <laughs> dual lands hit zero in stock. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and part of it also is I know you guys have made this argument a lot on Brainstorm Brewery that it magic wouldn't exist if every card was free or every card was five cents 
because right. no one would be fishing out, you know, boxes in, out of their basement to get those, you know, $10 cards. And as long as a dual lands $100, people are going to make, make that half hour trip to grandma's house to find that box of dual lands that they put in their treehouse 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just the money, the incentive there that these cards are worth money um means that people are going to continuously put these cards on the market as much as no one ever wants to sell out of their legacy collection sometimes you need to get a new car sometimes you put a down payment on the house i know i remember you uh wrote an article about how you sold a bunch of fetch lands and you you bought a new uh, like appliances right yep that's correct yeah when they hit uh and i obviously sold too early but it's when scalding tarns of missy's hit 40 the first time around like way back at the creation of modern i sold out for real life things Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you're absolutely right that these cards will always have a market. And I don't think as much as dual lands have as a whole stagnated in the past year, year and a half, even, uh, I don't think that they're going to bottom. you know, I don't think that that's a bad hold. Uh, like they're not bottoming out anytime soon. They're not going to fall off a cliff. They're always going to be worth money. Yeah. Kind of go into a finance comparison. I feel dual lands are like the corporate bonds of magic. They're pretty much as close as you can get to guaranteed with still having, you know, there's always some risk involved, but they're just going to pay you consistent dividends by being that thing that you can always sleeve up and go to a tournament with. And also, if you need to cash out, you're pretty confident that you can get a decent price on them. Yeah. And and, if, and then to talk numbers for just, you know, a few minutes, they've, like I said, in large part stagnated over the past years, which is going to make the next couple months very interesting because mm-hmm. Magic cards have a trend. Uh, where they go up in the first three months of the year and then lag out during the summer. And I think there's a lot of reasons you can apply to this, whether it's people in the U.S. getting tax returns, it's people having to holidays (laughs) over. That's one of my favorite theories, that people spend their tax returns on dual lands. It just has to be true. But it's all cards. Like, even your casual cards, every year, like, they see growth for the year, but that growth primarily comes in the first four months. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's just... You're in the like January and February. The holidays are over. You don't have the stress of that. You don't have that money there. Plus, it's still the winter and it snows in half the country, and you have nothing to do but go to the card shop and play Magic. You know, right? Also, so like, there's lots of theories for why they go up, but that's why we'll see. Dual lands did not do that this year. They went up very high in the summer of 2014, uh, but at the beginning of this year, they really were stagnant. So I'm interested to see how 2016 treats them. Right, and. You know, speaking of that, you know, we we kind of exchange uh, exchange some uh, graphs on dual lands uh, over Twitter, and what I actually see there is a bubble forming, a bubble popping, and then the slow recovery of that bubble, where right. it went. You know, when Star City Games basically, I, I feel everyone always dodges around this issue, but I feel it's so far out of the open we should just refer to it. When Star City Games bought out the market of dual lands, it caused a huge, huge spike in the price to pretty much unattainable un- unobtainable heights and the it all the dual lands pretty much took a pretty big dip afterwards and they've leveled out since since then because we see it in stocks all the time where there's almost like this mental barrier where it can't go over a certain dollar threshold unless some external outside force acts upon it, whether it being a buyout or a major tournament or a new deck where everyone needs the cards all of a sudden. And what I feel is we're just at that mental barrier with dual lands where they're at a price where they're affordable. So people keep buying them, but it's, 
too high for people to buy multiple playsets. I have my playset of Underground Seas, and I am really glad I bought them, but I am by no means looking to go out there and buy another playset of Underground Seas, as much as it would be nice to have them to loan out to friends or to have multiple decks together at the same time, because I'll take that step to buy the first set, but it's too pricey to buy the second set. Right. Well, let me just say how happy I am to be on a podcast where we call 200 to $250 lands affordable. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard so much complaining about $20 fetch lands in standard over the past two months that it is very refreshing to be on a podcast where we we accept that people are going to spend money on magic cards and it's okay. Oh, yeah. Can we just say, can we just say, <clears throat> Marcel, Marcel. <laughs> Excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> I mean, he's far from the only person. And I, I mean, yeah. I agree to an extent. Standards should not cost as much as modern or legacy, whatever. But, yes, I'm in the same boat. You know, I I don't mind my cards being worth money. And I enjoy that I'm able to play these formats, you mm. know. And I recognize they're not for everybody, but not everything is for everybody. Well, I feel, I feel like part of the reason why I don't mind paying the high dollar price for legacy stuff also is it's almost like, uh, like gap insurance, like you'd have for your car, right? Like when you buy a, like a brand new car, you can pay for gap insurance. It's like 10 bucks a month. And what they're going to do is they're going to give you, uh, like the difference between what your car is insured for and what the, like the actual retail prices for the car. Like they're going to make up that difference, right? I feel like that's like the tax you're paying on, on, on legacy cards is that there's nothing rotating out of the format. Your cards are going to hold their price. What you buy in for them is generally what you'll be able to get out of the cards, um, you know, if you decide to sell out of the format. Right. And also, yeah, a little background information for you, Corbin, is Patrick is actually a level, uh, living testament. Pat bought into Legacy within the last year and has a mm-hmm. Tier 1 deck put together. Yep. And That is impressive. And it's not through just shelling out, you know, I don't know, Pat, I don't know if you have some random trust fund type away. <laughs> I, I do not sit on a closet full of cash, no. <laughs> yeah, no. Having, having two small children is probably pretty expensive. But Yeah, so, yeah. No, so I what mean, was your process for getting into Legacy? So, so I mean, a lot of the listeners know my story, but I'll tell you just so you kind of know the, the background for me. Uh-huh. Um, I started playing Magic uh, back in like 97, 98 when I was in middle school. I played all through high school, um, had like a small collection of, you know, mainly like Tempest stuff, um, some Urza's Block stuff, nothing like super expensive. Um, I got back into the game around the Born of the Gods pre-release. Um, I started drafting then, started playing Standard X then, and started building up my collection from then. Um, and then about uh, about a year into that, I was just really tired of the grind of trying to always trade my Standard cards and new cards, and I just, you know, with my second son being born, I just didn't have the time to go to FNM every week and, tra- you know, trade up and, and try to get into the new cards. So what I did was I hopped on to Puka Trade because I heard about it on another podcast, and um, I started trading my a lot of my staples that I had and a lot of my standard staples that I had into um, modern and legacy stuff. And then um, I got kind of got turned on to the Leaving Legacy podcast and uh, decided that, like, modern probably wasn't going to be for me, and I was really interested in the legacy format. And then I flipped all the modern stuff I had traded into into more legacy staples. Um, and I've probably only spent uh, maybe like out of pocket like 500 bucks, 600 bucks maybe on cards. And usually it's just because they're impulse buys. But for the most right. part, like I was able to turn my entire collection um, via Puka Trade into Eternal Staples, which is pretty critical because I mean, one of the great things about Puka Trade, like if you have the time and the willingness to grind out the points there, is that you're not losing any equity by trading. Like you're not like selling to a store where you're going to lose like. 30, right. 40% of the value of your card, and certainly more to a buy list. 
Um, so you kind of get you're kind of getting like full value for your siege rhinos and for your, you know, your mantis riders and all that stuff, and you're able to turn them into staples. So that's how I got into it. Um, you know, not everyone is so lucky to have like some standard stuff and and whatnot behind them, but um, I think if you're willing to do it and you're willing to trade into the into the format, there are avenues to do it. You know what I mean? I mean, I you that's the dream, right? I mean, you turned it took time and effort on your part, but you turned a standard collection into a tier one legacy deck. Oh yeah, yeah. I went through hundreds of envelopes and and hundreds of dollars in stamps, most likely. But <laughs> uh, my wife ran like ran our you know our bank account. You can like right. do a pie chart of where all your money's going to. Like post office was probably a lot bigger than it is for most people. But yeah, um, we we gotta talk more. about that, Pat. That's called uh, that's called the expense ratio. You want to? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and like I said, I said, hey, I was like, hon, you know, I could be buying like fucking packs of, of born of the gods and be wasting a ton of money so you should actually be thanking me you know <laughs> this is it's, it's such a great point and such a good story because i feel like almost every player has the capability to do that they just don't they don't yeah. put in the effort or the time to learn what they need to do they'd rather it's easier to complain about cards costing x money or the reserve list existing than it is to grind your create your collection through puka trade yeah. and oh, your yeah, legacy yeah. Definitely. And like, and, and, you know, I, I understand people disliking the reserve list, but part of the reasons why it's easy to bite, easier to bite the bullet to get into an internal format is that the reserve list does exist. And like my cards aren't going to tank when they reprint Volcanic Island. <laughs> right. You know? Absolutely. So. And, and that's why, like, I don't love the way this question that we're, you know, discussing is always phrased. It's phrased, is legacy dying? Yeah. And I, I don't, I hate that that's the way it is, but I mean, that's just what people understand. To me, I, I don't doubt that le- five years from now, Legacy will be less relevant in sort of the, the headlines of Magic the Gathering than it was five years ago. But that doesn't mean the format's going to die because when people then, you know, if I say, hey, I think Legacy's fading, people say, oh, well, you think I should sell my cards then? Well, that's really hard to say because what are you trying to do? If you just want your Magic cards to stay worth money, you absolutely want Dual Lands. Dual Lands have had a bad you know, a bad year by their standard, but they haven't dropped, they haven't been reprinted, and they're going to be fine over the long term, not just for eternal playability, but for collector collecting purposes. Uh, so is there less money to be made in dual lands than there are in modern staples? Probably, yes. However, you have to always be on top of the market with modern to know what's going to be mm-hmm. reprinted and all of this stuff. And if that's not what you want to do, then I think Legacy is, you know, perfectly safe in that way. Yeah. And uh, and on top of that, too, with this new announcement from, I don't know if you saw the announcement from Mark Rosewater, that the plan is for them to be doing new block, return block, new block, return block. You're going to see a lot more modern staples being reprinted every year. You're going to see modern staples coming from, you know, modern Masters sets as well. So that I think modern in general is going to be a little bit more volatile of of a format financially than Legacy would be naturally. Absolutely. And... One of the the examples of that is the Zendikar fetch lands. I mean, we just keep going through this cycle now for several years at this point. It's like, oh, they're going to be reprinted. Oh, they're not in this one, though. Oh, but they're going to be reprinted now. And (laughs) there's people who own a bunch of these who are then when they get reprinted are going to be like, oh, well, now I can't afford shock lands that have jumped again or whatever. (laughs) Why'd they have to tank the value of my stuff? Like, I haven't owned a non-expedition Zendikar fetch land in over a year. Like the mm-hmm. reprint's coming at some point. I yeah, want to yeah. be smart with the way I'm managing my collection and not hold on to them. And in the meantime, that can you know be a little painful when you don't just have extra um, cards for a deck. Like I built my Canadian Highlander deck, and I literally didn't have a Scalding Tarn. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just have to be smart about it. Mm-hmm. True. Also, kind of going back to the point with uh, Dual Lands, 
when I look at a graph of dual lands, I really compare it to the actual stock market because over the last 100 years, um, on average, on an annualized basis, uh, the stock market goes up two years and then goes down one year. And there's streaks and runs that happen where sometimes it'll go up for six years and then go down for three years in a row. Um, but annualized on average, it's two up, one down. And I see a very similar uh, mirror image in the price of dual lands. And I just think we're in a down year for dual lands where it the price has kind of been overinflated beyond what their inherent value is. And people are realizing that. And it's going to take time, you know, just also inflation, people get more money, aging collection, aging uh, player base who now have money to spend is just going to, in future years, I feel, bump it up slowly over time. And the longer you hold the dual lands, the more, uh, the more value you're going to get out of it. Because my underground seas, I got at a cost basis of $20 each. And I am really happy that I have held on to them for that entire time. Right. <laughs> that is good value right there. <laughs> well, yeah, and they, you know, the the point to be made is, yeah, you're right. This year's been bad. They're still 50% at least higher than they were in January of 2014. Yeah. Oh, so. yeah. I love how people do that. They're like, oh, man, the market's crashing. My, pr my prices are crashing. Like, well, what did you get them for? Oh, a dollar each? So even though you lost, you know, $10 on them, you're still up $100. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you, you know, continuing the, the stock market thing, yeah, you have to look at them the same way you look at long-term stocks is just ignore the day-to-day -day and sometimes year-to-year -year and just trust in what you're doing for the long term. Right. Um, kind of going back to the story of how, you know, we got into Legacy, I kind of was on the opposite end where I started playing Magic and Onslaught Block and lucky yep <laughs> uh, lucky dog. i remember finding an old uh an old backpack in a, in a in like a closet at my parents house and looking at like one of the pockets and there was like a school notebook and then also a spirit monger i'm like oh sweet a spirit monger and then a polluted delta and a flooded strand I'm like oh <laughs> these must have been like draft chaff <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. So unlike me, Jerry is sitting on a closet full of money. <laughs> no, <Right>. no. <laughs> well, cardboard money, I guess. But what I did and is stories like that are so good, and that's how that's why I went so deep on Zendikar Fetch Lands the first time was hearing all the horror stories of people who were like, "I sold my duels for ten dollars a piece ten years ago." Oh well, that's the best part. So I started in Onslaught, and I quit in Kamigawa because that was a god awful set, <laughs> and I came back as. Uh, World Wake and all those fetches were rotating out of uh, out of standard. Oh, okay. So I'm coming back to Magic, and I'm just like, oh, I remember these when I first started playing. These were pretty good. Oh, everyone's just <laughs> fire-sailing them? Yeah, I'll pick them up. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I made a lot of, you know, smart acquisitions there, getting, you know, like, Misty's for $10, because people right. just wanted to That's trade That's where they were them. at. It's crazy. Um, but a lot of my Magic collection that I've gotten is, yes, I got lucky. I got... Basically, uh, a friend was going to Comic-Con, and he needed money for a flight, so I bought his Tropical Islands and his Underground Seas for probably like 25 to $50 a piece. Um, but those were really the only dual lands I had, I got. Yeah. I didn't really, I didn't have a set of 40, and what right. I did is when I came back, I had one deck, I had Reanimator, and what I would do is I would probably spend about $20, uh, you know, every week or every other week, depending on what my budget was at the time. I just, you know, instead of buying a booster pack, I would buy a single. Okay. I would buy that in Tomb, or I would buy 
that, uh, you know, cheap fetch land because they were cheap at the time. Or I would save up for a couple weeks and buy a larger purchase like a Force of Will. And I would play in tournaments every week, save up my credit slips, and buy dual lands with my credit slips. I would say half of the dual lands that I own, I bought with store credit from tournament winnings. Yep. Wow. That's so impressive. We call that discipline, and that is something that <laughs> many of the uh, the players in Magic lack. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. is, So I, I probably said it, I think it was our very first episode. I said that I have actually never played Standard. I have never had a sta- <laughs> I've never really had a Standard deck. I built one Standard deck on Magic Online to play Esper Dragons, because that's just a legacy deck in Standard. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, dig through time, Thoughtseize, Counterspell. I'm like, yeah, sign oh, me up for that. It's not it. A- not a legacy deck anymore, though. <laughs> no, not a legacy deck anymore. <laughs> but that was, like, the first ever standard deck I ever built because it was a legacy deck. Uh, yeah. Other than that, I have never, ever played standard in my life. I went from casual straight into legacy because I was using my dual lands and my casual decks. Like, when I said I put together Reanimator, I didn't have Entomb, so I ran Buried Alives, and I was entering <laughs> tournaments with those. <laughs> um, and I just... I literally said, it's like, I don't keep up with it often enough. Standard is too expensive for me. I'm going to play Legacy because yeah. I cannot afford to build a deck every week or, you know, change on rotation. Because yeah. if you think about it, Standard instantly becomes more expensive than Legacy within, you know, what, two, at this point, two rotations? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean... On average, probably closer to three or four, but... Yeah, I mean, this one's obviously a little weird because the fetch lands make up almost you know, basically 35 40% of the cost of a deck, and those are obviously going to be good forever, but... Right, right. So, I mean, this one's a little odd. So, on, you know, in a normal year, you know, within probably, what, four rotations, you could have just built a legacy deck that you could still be playing to this day. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Did, in the article that you're writing, just out of curiosity, personally... Mm-hmm. Did you happen to talk about Saffron Olives like the you know is is uh, uh the, the, standard, the, like the most yeah the most expensive standard ever kind of thing? Um, I did not specifically touch on that in in this article. Um, I did a video and an article on basically the cost of standard with my thoughts on it. Uh, mm-hmm. that came out the week before his, where I basically said, "You're spending all this money." to get into standard and yes it costs two hundred dollars more to get into standard this year than it did last year however it now costs you two hundred dollars less to get into modern or legacy because right. you're spending it on dual on fetches rather than temples which are garbage after they rotate exactly and, and that's and basically like, my thoughts yeah and it seems like if the if a large percentage of the value of your deck is in fetches those are probably going to retain value even once they're rotated so it's less risk getting into a standard deck even though it's higher cost right now Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I obviously spend too much time on Reddit and in Twitter because <laughs> I see people complaining and it just makes me really jaded yeah. um, about the community in general to see the complaints about something like this. Like people literally demanded that they reprint Fetchlands. Yeah. You know, like this is exactly what people wanted. And it's great. Now, hey, modern's easier to get into. Legacy's easier to get into. But there are, in fact, consequences to printing eternal staples in standard. Yep. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I'm interested to hear what you guys think now we've sort of knocked out the, you know, sort of the the big question about the future of Legacy as a format. But what do you think now that we have fewer Star City events? If you're somebody who likes to play Legacy and is looking for ways to do it, what's the future look like for you? Well, the cool thing about, I mean, I think one of the reasons why they haven't completely dropped Legacy is that the opens for Legacy have actually, the numbers have been... Um, on average, better than standard have been. Um, they were averaging 535 people per 
uh, Legacy Open and 526 per Standard Open. And Modern was slightly higher at 591. Um, so the the numbers are still there. So I think they, I mean, they're still running their their what their uh, Premier Series IQs on Sundays um, when there's a Standard or Modern Open. So there'll still be plenty of Legacy events. Um, mostly again on the East Coast where they'll be centralized. You know, for for Star City Games, it makes a lot more sense to be traveling up and down the East Coast than it does to be going to a lot of West Coast events, even though that sucks for, you know, people who are playing Legacy on the West Coast. Um, for As a company, you can't blame them for trying to stay a little bit more centralized and not spending as much time traveling across the country. Right. Um, Wasn't it Dallas sometime in the past year they only had, they had like under 100 people for a Legacy Open? Uh, I th- Yeah, I think there was one that was just a, a huge stinker um, yeah. for a Legacy it, Open. It's very much... It, it, yeah, I mean, obviously, somebody who lives in Oklahoma and we interact with Dallas all the time, and nobody down here has cards. I think it's just it's legacy more so than any other format. It's centralized into hubs. Mm-hmm. Like people on the coast who've been playing longer, uh, it's legacy is huge. I mean, here we don't even have in the the three. Uh, well, there's four stores now that in my area within you know a half hour drive that run uh, tournaments regularly, and we have no legacy tournaments per weekly. Because just nobody owns the cards here. I feel that's Dallas. The, I think's the same way. I feel that's the the biggest. It, uh, it's certainly uh, interesting to see. Like you know, I I think it's one of those self fulfilling prophecies that legacy begets more legacy, right? Like once you yeah. have a small you know a small um, uh, area in which to play that has a lot of players that has a higher density of people playing, it's going to bring in more players to play there, or at least create you know create more um, interest in the area. So yeah, I think. I think it's probably going to be something that is going to be left to individual regions. Like, you know, maybe CFB is going to pick up the ball and run with it on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe there will be a larger TO um, to start running more legacy stuff in, like, you know, central U.S., you know, like, you know, between uh, the Mississippi and the and the mountains there. I yeah. don't really know, though. I actually have some uh, hard facts here. Um, I'd like to hear it. I've been trying to chime in for, like, the last ten minutes, and I kept wondering why you guys kept ignoring me, and then I realized my <laughs> mic was muted. It's actually it's actually because your opinion doesn't matter. It's, it's classic. <laughs> that too, but um, yeah, early early scoop into top eight to Evan Nyquist because he did a huge amount of work for me today, just uh, compiling all the major legacy events that have uh, kind of flourished within the recent announcement. Is we've had actually about four or five stores announce that they are going to be starting up uh, serious legacy uh, continual events. Um, so, um, this one isn't, uh, confirmed yet, but announced at Card Kingdoms FNM is that they're going to start a 1K series in the Seattle area based on Legacy, um, because apparently they've been having, uh, Legacy tournaments on a weekly basis and they are running up against the cap every week and having to turn people away. Um, also, um, there's the... Weekly South Florida Magic and Tusk Vision guys, they have a legacy tournament every week and they actually stream it on Twitch. Um, two separate events, one based in Florida, one based in Georgia. Um, and also, Team Tusk announced that they are going to start up a quarterly legacy 1K based in Atlanta. Yes. Um, so that's pretty sweet. And also, uh, there's a store in the Midwest that's looking into starting a Midwest-focused uh, legacy circuit that's actually traveling. Uh, I'm trying to find the name of it. I believe it's BTK Games. Uh, oh, BC Comics in Michigan uh, is uh, drumming up support to see if there would be interest in a traveling legacy tournament. 
and also the godfather of legacy Ely Cassis uh, he announced that he is going to start a 2K legacy tournament and he's based oh, nice. out of yeah based out of the New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York area. So I will definitely be going to those because Ely always, you know, runs an awesome event. That's sweet. And actually I'm going over the uh the attendance um, by formats. Uh, this is last year. So what's interesting is that the lowest attendance for Legacy was actually 464 in St. Louis, and that was the same weekend as e- Eternal Extravaganza in Philly, which is a pretty big Legacy event. So on the same coast, you know, they still drew 464 players. Um, and there was actually, you know, there was one less uh, modern open, believe it or not, which I was surprised. I thought they ran more modern opens, but there was only four modern opens. Um, so I wasn't I mean, the numbers don't seem to be that far apart. I'm I'm curious as to why the real reason is that they're that they're dropping legacy from the open format. Um, have, but there have, there wasn't anything low like really low attendance, which I was surprised. Heard? I, I've heard this that uh, the theory is that because they don't have any legacy GPS for 2016. Yep. That's what I was just going to bring up is it's the conspiracy theory, or maybe yeah. maybe not as conspiracy theory. It was also conspiracy theory that Star City Games was buying out all the dual lands a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that is the hot conspiracy theory on the block that because apparently they actually have a history of this. Um, someone sent me a message that I'm trying to find so I can give you credit, but they actually mapped out. Every, in every year where Star City Games doesn't get the Legacy GP, they scale back. And in every year in which they do get the Legacy GP, they juice up their Legacy offering. So from a from a business standpoint, that doesn't make sense, right? To be, you know, to be going out on a limb and putting the effort into making more Legacy Opens if they're doing a Legacy GP. Right, because if, if nothing else, the Star City Games Open Circuit is the longest running commercial ever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, and there's no point in advertising a format that is only has one GP a year that you're not running. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, it's very interesting. I, you know, I get that, and that makes sense. On the other hand, I, I would, I'd like to think that that doesn't necessarily like that one event surely can't make or break so much for them. Like, does one GP really have so much of an impact? as to drop legacy if it's popular for him, you know, it's just hard to, it's hard to, it's, it's like a lot how of much of this is like a, how I, much is it, how much is this decision in spite versus how much is it in real, like placed in business? I feel it's, I feel it's more of a compound thing. I think star city games has not been making as much money as they were hoping. Um, you know, they kind of overextended themselves. They bit off more than they can chew and now they're scaling back and they're scaling back in ways that are strategic to them right now. Mm-hmm. Like the prize wall, right? Like the prize wall is a huge oh, thing. Can yeah. we talk about the prize wall real quick? Yeah, so we'll just it. <laughs> let's talk about so, that. So, my first introduction to a prize wall was at GB Providence. I went down there. I didn't even play. I just went down there to check it out, and I was checking out the prize wall. And the way I figured out like the value of a ticket there was like you look at like what they're charging for a standard booster pack, right? And they were charging say ten tickets. So, all right, so a ticket is ro- worth roughly forty cents, right? Because you're figuring four bucks for a booster pack, and some of the things that they were pricing up there were obscenely expensive. Like they were pricing Modern Masters packs. This is Modern Masters 2015 packs, and this was April, so it wasn't even like uh no, it was June. It wasn't even like Modern Masters had just come out, and like you could buy a pack at a store for like twelve bucks. And they were charging twenty four dollars based on these ticket prices for a pack of Modern Masters 15. And to me, the prize wall, like one of the things I hate about it, is that 
it disguises the true cost that you're paying for an item. Like you're getting, you're you're entering, you're you're putting in real. It's like Chuck E. Cheese. You're putting in real money. You're getting paid out in fake tokens that have no real intrinsic value, and then you're paying on literally you know, choosing from a prize wall. And these are these numbers that they have are just. I think the translation of what you're actually, you know, paying for this product is completely lost in the translation of exchanging money for to- or tickets and then tickets for for a prize. So yeah. comedian uh, Ron. White. It sort of I think depends on. I've seen some really weird stuff. Obviously, I've been in a lot of GPs um, since, and I was actually at the first GP where they did a prize wall, which is Grand Prix Portland last year. Uh, I've seen some weird stuff. I've seen singles that are basically selling at 175% of what they sell in their booth, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. In, in a prize wall. But I've also seen Modern Masters packs, uh, and this was at GP Vegas, Modern Master packs, I think we're going for something in the range of half MSRP. Uh, at that particular event, like it very much, I think depends on the to. Right. It, it, um, in theory. But you're right, absolutely. Though it it it, I, I'm sure it doesn't benefit the players to have how much they're paying lost in translation. Absolutely, yeah. There's no dollar amount on it. It's not like yo one ticket. It'd be nice if they're like, oh, these are the, you won fifty dollars to spend in our prize wall. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that'd be one yeah. thing. If it's like, hey, mm-hmm. like you just won this this eight man. Here's eighty dollars to spend in our prize wall, or a hundred dollars to spend in our prize wall. It's here's twelve hundred tickets. Do the math. Right. Yeah. It just sucks. It's like sucks. communism. In theory, it's the greatest form of government, but it never works in practice. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it would be one thing, and, and like I wouldn't fault a TO for doing fair value in these trades, right? Like if they said, all right, here. You know, if I don't know what it caught, what you know, what the payout is for an eight man, but like a winner box, say it's like a hundred bucks. Say the prize amount is a hundred bucks. Here's a hundred dollars in tickets. Here's our prize wall with literal dollar amounts on everything, so you know what you're paying for, like and you have a hundred dollars. Exactly. Yeah. Here's a yeah. hundred dollars in store credit. That way, like the TO is kind of making a little bit on. They're making a little bit on the prize wall because they have their margins set there, and they're making a little bit on the eight man as well because they're taking essentially a small rake of that eight man to run that eight man, which is completely reasonable but some of the things that i see like if they're banking on you know modern matches 15 was still relatively new at gp providence but it still wasn't fetching 24 dollars a pack you can get them for 12 bucks you can get them for msrp anywhere anywhere they weren't rare at all um and i think that they're just putting them out there be like oh we'll see how many players buy them for twice what msrp is and just like pocketing the money Uh, and you would not believe the amount of people who don't know how to do like simple math Oh, I'm sure they don't. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure they don't. And like, it's but, the same thing when you look at. I I went to turn in points on my credit card the other day, and I could take the cash option, which was literally one point was worth one cent, or I could take an Amazon gift card for a ten percent reduction in points. And I'm like, <laughs> why would I ever do that? I'm getting ten percent less value for something that is less liquid than actual cash. <laughs> but so many people probably take that because it's an option there because they don't spend the time to actually do the math out. Right. Right. It's just a little bit scummy to me because, like, I understand the TO's there to make money, and I love supporting our local game stores here. I love going to TE every week and buying singles from there and and playing there, and I have no problem, like, spending money there. But, like, there is a – I feel like there should be an an unspoken social contract between – the the players and the to and they shouldn't be trying to rip off the players in my opinion and it just it drives me a little bit crazy to be, be seeing that shit and like to do the math out myself and then like have to redo it two or three times to make sure i wasn't losing my mind was a little bit frustrating <laughs> yeah. to see there's a uh, there's a comedian ron white who has a bit 
uh, about coupons. And every time <laughs> anyone talks about prize balls, this bit just runs through my head. If, if people haven't seen it, I, I suggest looking it up. But it's about this him. is uh, that's your sign guy, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's about him trying to buy a, a beer at a county fair and having to go through like a multi-leg conversion transaction in order to get beer coupons. <laughs> Well, it's in theory, prize walls are great. I mean, yeah. it feels a lot better to be able to buy a single or a little um, a Johnny doll or whatever you want, a Funko toy, rather than just get a bunch of packs you don't need. Like in yep. theory, they're great, but I... it's just weird. Like it's and, and the fact it's not consistent is weird. You know, yeah. if you decide your ticket is worth X amount, okay, well then why is it worth that amount for a pack but not a single? Right. Yep. That's what's weird. Yep. I wonder. Yeah. Like, I'd like to think that it's all planned. It's all some. I'd like to think that all the TOs have planned everything out to the dime, and this is all intentional, but I wonder how much of it is just like, eh, this seems like a good point number. Yeah. yeah. No, that's, 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 fair. that's totally fair. And maybe they're like, oh, well, you should have to win two eight-mans now to win, a, to win a box. You know what I mean? And maybe they're basing their points off that. Like, you know, what your performance is, what they determine you should have, like, your prize level is from that. I don't know, but... Right. Um, how, how much of it is malicious and how much of it is just, you know, someone going slap Incompetence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, and, and you know what? Like, oh, man, I really like Modern Masters. This is a thousand <laughs> tickets. <laughs> no, yeah, I, that's that's totally true, and I didn't really think about that to, cause, because to me, when you're running an event like that, and I'm sure there's... I can't imagine the amount of, um, of setup there is to these events, like... The amount of planning you have to do ahead of time, and like the prize wall may be one of those things where, oh, it's real hot right now. Like everyone's doing a prize wall, we'll do a prize wall, and they don't put a lot of effort into figuring out what the what the ticket costs are and everything. And that that makes a lot of sense. That never really crossed my mind because to me it seems like it'd be something very easy to plan out. But if it's not at the forefront of your mind, if the prize wall is the least of your worries, then maybe you know maybe that's that's what's happening there. And yeah, I hope and that I hope that trend improves. Yeah, I mean they're a new development, right? Like they were first debuted at. Uh, Grand Prix Portland last year and sort of have caught on since then and I'm sure not every TO has you know really been been a part of it did Star City have it at Miami or is it just their next GP that is going to have one I don't know I, I, don't... I haven't seen them I so I know that they're starting to do points like prize points for um like the large side like the the, the premier IQs mm-hmm. starting I want to say December 13th so that's so I actually went to their website to look up some of their their opens and the the open after this change occurs they don't have like the prize structure listed yet yeah um, so I don't know exactly like you know I I don't think they've handed out points yet for a, a prize wall situation gotcha. I'm sure that they that that's a a business I will figure it all out to the dime I'm confident of uh, that yeah Star City Games if anyone yeah. does it they will um, and, one and I hope actually... they do it well I hope they do it like I hope they do it to where there's an equitable trade between what you're winning and what you can get because I think I do think that the, the idea of a prize wall is is fantastic but it has to be executed well otherwise you are otherwise it's there's, there's an inequitable trade there and that's bad for both sides right one store, or not store, but one event I went to that had a prize ball that actually did it well was Eternal Extravaganza, or Eternal Weekend. I always get those two mixed up. <laughs> um, Eternal Weekend down in Philly, they had a prize wall, and it was just for their side events, so the main events still paid out in cash, but the side events had their own separate prize wall. And you know what? If you did a draft and you won a game in the draft, you got 10 tickets. You know what 10 tickets bought you? A booster pack. It was a straight across transaction. This is what you would expect. This is what you could get. It was, you know, lined up and clean. 
and mm-hmm. it gave you options, but and they weren't trying to rip you off. Right. Um, but yeah, I I think it, it 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 has potential, and I think a lot of TOs are seeing the short term profits. They're seeing that oh, rip as many people off. You know, you could uh, what's what's Jason's favorite line that uh, you can shear a sheep any number of times, but you can only yeah, skin right. it once. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think way too many TOs are skinning the sheep right now. And... Yeah. Well, that was the complaint about the GP last weekend, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a lot of people who voiced displeasure with the cost of entering a standard Grand Prix. Right. Yeah, wasn't it like $70 for a constructed GP? That, yeah. That's, so that same weekend, I went to a tournament, uh, Eternal, Extra, uh, Eternal Weekend, no, Eternal Extravaganza, there we go, EE3, uh, down in uh, Pennsylvania. Entry fee was $60, and they were giving away 200 dual lands as prizes. So I yeah. paid less money to enter a legacy tournament in the chance to win dual lands and multiple dual lands at that compared to someone entering a $70 standard GP that you're so, going to paid six months down the line for. So one thing I was thinking of too, and, and this probably will benefit like any TOs that want to start running legacy events in the Midwest and on the West Coast. Part of the reason why I think the costs, and I've listened to a couple TOs um, be interviewed about this, part of the reasons why the costs are going up so exponentially right now, I mean, they've been holding GPs for $50 for a while, $56 for a while, um, but when you're getting events that are becoming so large, the costs associated with running such a large event increase exponentially, Like, and it's not right. something that's covered by the attendance of the event. Like, If you have to rent out like the DCU center for an event, that is an extremely large cost, especially when you're picking up the entire center for this event. And something like GP Vegas, I mean, that is that is even that's a, on a much grander scale than something like a you know a modern GP in in, uh, in Massachusetts. So I think that one of the things that will benefit, you know, and I think that we'll see continually rising costs of GPs, constructed or otherwise, um, because the cost of running an event with two thousand, three thousand, four thousand people is just going to push that price, that cost of the TO up, up, up. Um, I think that one of the benefits of if a TO wants to run a, a legacy event, that you're going to draw two, 300 people, you can be much more, uh, you can, you can, I think, kind of run your books a little bit closer there, a little bit tighter and, and budget a little bit better. When you know that you're only going to be bringing in 200, 300 people, the scale of that event is not going to be nearly as massive as if you have literally 10 times that many at an event. Yeah, running a GP sounds like a logistical nightmare because you have to you have to plan estimated attendance mm-hmm. so far in advance, oh, and yeah. of course you have to have more space than necessary right. because like nothing's worse than having two thousand people show up for your event and you have room for fifteen hundred, mm-hmm. you know. Plus the there's more and more artists and and everything like it's not just for players that costs have been going up. It's been going up for. Obviously the TOs, but for div, uh, vendors there as well, yeah, um, the whole thing is, is is nuts. So, I mean, it just seems like such a big risk TOs have to take to do one. And I know we had uh, under 1,100 players at the last one, and that was lower than people expected. And there, uh, some people were blaming the TO, and I don't know if I necessarily buy that. There were some other reasons like Halloween and the RPTQ weekend and some things that might have – you know, conspired to keep people away, but you have to keep in mind that just the the, the financial risk a TEO takes on just to have an oh. event in the first place—it's immense. It's absolutely immense. One thing, um, I, uh, one thing I've thought of, and I feel it's another one of those on paper. It's a great idea, but it just opens itself up to be exploited so easily. Is going to the convention setting where 
you have a entry fee to get into the venue in order to access, you know, having a cosplayer section, having an artist section, having it be more about just the tournament itself in a way to kind of justify the space. So even if you get low turnout for the tournament, you're still at least uh, spreading that cost over people who show up not even to go to the tournament. Because I know plenty of people who go to GPs and never play in them. Yeah, that's certainly before I started doing coverage even. Like, it's been years since I... Uh, Grand Prix Vegas 1 was the last one I played in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and since then, I've been to multiple Star City Opens, several GPs, and just don't play. I just go to hang out. Yeah. And, I mean, it sucks. Sorry, you guys, that we're, we're going to try and charge you, but I feel it's only fair that if you're going to come, you're going to experience it, you're going to be part of it, you should also help kind of bear the cost of making it happen in the first place. And players would revolt. They would, but I it that's only because I feel they don't see the necessity behind it because... They if, never do. <laughs> they never do, because if you tell them, you know, the option is like, okay, you can either pay this fee for enter, or we're just not going to have it. Which would you rather? I would gladly pay, you know, $10 to enter the GP if it means that it's going to be there versus Mm -hmm. it not going to be there. Yeah, it also, I mean, there are obviously, if we're going to get into, you know, thinking about it hypothetically, there are costs, right? You have to start wristbanding people and you have to have people Mm -hmm. posted at the door to check it. Like, I wonder, you know, at what point that... Because they do that already with the value of collections. Right, right, Every legacy event I've gone to lately... Um, you get a wristband for your backpack, and then you get a matching wristband for yourself. And you are not allowed to leave the venue with a backpack if the wristbands do not match. Really? That is, that's actually awesome. Yeah, so yeah, that's great. Pretty much every major legacy tournament I go to has this now. Um, so, I that's mean, great. The, legacy pioneering the way yet again. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's already something that uh, a lot of TOs are doing. Um, one way also I feel TOs, and this is definitely, uh, something only legacy TOs can really do that also help lower cost is I feel some of the best legacy tournaments are, are the dual land tournaments, tournaments that aren't paying out in cash, but tournaments that are giving away dual lands, because those are the tournaments that get huge attendance. Um, you know, eternal extravaganza, um, the bunch of duels I just went to, you know, the bunch of duels, 200 duel lands, uh, they had 302 people show up at the tournament and mm-hmm. it was awesome. And it's good for the tournament organizers because players see they're getting duel lands and they see retail value. Oh, I won retail value in duel lands. TOC. Oh, right. we gave out <laughs> buy list value in pre- prizes. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, but that, to me, that's a total win-win, right? Because yeah. they're, you know, for a TO, like, to give out, you know, to be able to purchase stuff at BuyList and then sell it at a fair retail value is a win for the for the retailer. And for the player, it's a win because you're getting stuff at market value anyway. And you're getting paid in what is basically $100 bills and dual lands anyway, so I don't see the issue there. Yeah, it is something pretty much only Legacy can do. I mean, Modern might be able to do it with, like, Gwaifs I've and thought Lillies. about that. Yeah, like, yeah, I've thought about hosting something like that locally because... Um, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, I run. I, I don't own a store, but I run all the magic parts of a of an LGS around here, and I've done giveaways for tournaments and stuff like that. I've thought about running some sort of series or something like that, where the the prize at the end is a Tarmogoy for first, a Liliana for second, whatever. Like while still, you know, having the individual events pay out. Um, I, I definitely think that's a viable method of price support in in modern as well. Yeah. I can definitely see it. You wanna you wanna give your your LGS a shout out? Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I work with Sunny's Game Lounge in Oklahoma City. For anybody who's ever up in the area, we 
run Magic events, but we also have League of Legends, uh, Smash Brothers, <laughs> fighting games, all of those things. It's a gaming center, not necessarily your typical Magic shop. Speaking of that, uh, I hear you play Teemo and Fizz in League of Legends. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. This this podcast is over. You're going to have uh, to leave. No. <laughs> what, is it Teemo or is it Fizz? It's kind of a little of both. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm a shoutcaster mostly. It makes you feel any better. Okay. All right. But <laughs> I do like to play Teemo. Look, Fizz is a merfolk. I have to play it. That's true. That's true. Speaking of, have you ever have you ever sleeved up uh, merfolk in Legacy? Have you ever taken that for a whirl? Have you? Well, I wow, this is going to be fun story time then. Oh yeah, let's do it. So, in the year two thousand and ten, ancient history, um, I had a friend who wanted to drive six hours to Kansas City to go play in a Star City Legacy Open. I had been playing Magic for like two years at that point, and maybe with six months into trying to play competitively, I had like top eighty to PTQ, um, and just maybe you know sort of that was where I was at. Uh, so we went up there. He had two decks. He had Zoo and Merfolk. I did not want to go. Basically, <laughs> I didn't want to go spend money on a hotel. I was a broke college kid. Like I didn't want to go spend money on a hotel. I didn't want to spend money on a tournament and all this stuff. So I was just gonna like go hang out basically. And he was like just so desperate for to have someone to go with, so he didn't have to make the six hour drive alone. Basically, he's like, "Oh, I'll pay for your entry, and you can use the deck I don't use." <laughs> so we play test at like eleven thirty Saturday night. I pick up a legacy deck for the first time in my life. It's Merfolk. We play Zoo. He crushes me in like three games. And he's like, all right, I guess I'm playing Zoo tomorrow. So he hands me Merfolk. And then I just play in the open and I split the finals. <laughs> See, I, I never so, realized this was a legacy event. I always thought yeah, it was man. like, I, I remember hearing this story, but I just assumed yeah. it was like extended or something No, else. no, no. Go look it up. It's like uh, Star City Games Legacy Open Kansas City 2010. I just, <laughs> I went... Um, I just didn't lose in the Swiss, double drew into the top eight, beat AJ Sacker in the top eight, beat Lewis Alaskan in the top four, and split the finals with somebody. And that was, after that, I was like, well, I guess I like this deck. <laughs> is, is this what's so, your, your Skype profile picture right now that I'm looking at? Oh my gosh, it is. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, it absolutely is. That's a picture from that oh, event. Man. <laughs> um, so, so then like, of course that top eight queued me for an invitational and I had to have a legacy deck. So someone loaned me Merfolk again and then I cashed the invitational. I like, even it is a whole other story. I, I should have top eight the invitational, but I failed, ended up top 32 and cashed the invitational with Merfolk. And I was like, I guess this is my deck now. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh. so that, that was it. Like I was a Merfolk guy and then they created modern and literally the minute they announced modern, I sleeved up Merfolk. And I haven't looked back. And now I have the deck foiled out. Oh, man. I really wish Adrian was here. Our other co-host, Adrian, <laughs> he is also a huge Merfolk fan as well. He, he loves him some Merfolk. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. It's the best deck in Modern, and it makes me really sad it's not the best deck in Legacy anymore. I have it I have it sleeved up uh, at all times pretty much because it's just that deck I have that anytime anyone needs to borrow a deck, Merfolk's just so easy because other than Force of Wills, it doesn't really share cards with other decks. Yeah, just Wasteland, really. Like yeah. Wasteland. Force. Yeah, Wasteland and Force, and usually we can come up with those. That That's kind of the benefit of living in New England, is that <laughs> right. friends beget friends beget friends, and you can always <laughs> kind of borrow into it. Uh, but my Merfolk deck that I run, I, I run a little spice. Uh, I, I splash black for Dark Confidant, and I call it, oh, I call oh. it dog, Dogfish. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that, the build I ran was black, but it was just for uh, Parish and Nature's 
ruin out of the sideboard mm-hmm. to kill all the green decks. Nice. Yeah, I, I just felt Merfolk's biggest weakness is that it runs out of gas, and I just felt Dark Confidant was the perfect answer to that. How has it been in practice? <laughs> uh, pretty good. I don't run it that often. Um, I'm I'm one of those players in eight. So because I've just spent so much time just spe- spending all my star credit, I've essentially built up a pretty nice legacy deck that I can uh, legacy collection that I can pretty much put together any legacy deck that I want at a moment's notice. Yeah. Um, so I pretty much play a different deck every weekend. Okay. Uh, but I haven't played it. I actually, I, I, I got to bring that back into the rotation. I'll try out some Merfolk again. <laughs> well, do you, you have Chalice's main, right? Isn't that the thing in Legacy? Yep. Well, not really anymore. So it was the thing when Treasure Cruise and then Dig Through Time because it countered all the one drops that fueled the del- Delve cards. And mm-hmm. now that both of those are banned, it's kind of fallen out of popularity. Okay. The deck is, like, still... It's just not, like, good in Legacy, though, right? No, no, it, it's good. Um, it's not it, It's not Tier 1, but it, if if Merfolk wins a tournament, I'm never surprised. Right, right. It, it's one of those decks that always has the chance. And that's one... I mean, that's what's great about Legacy in general, but you always have a chance to win with pretty much any deck. Um, and Merfolk is, is just... It's consistent. You know, it, it puts up results, and if you play enough games, you'll win enough tournaments just by entering them. I do want to know what it's like to play True Name and Legacy. Oh, it's pretty, uh, it's nice. pretty good, man. <laughs> it's pretty nice. <laughs> I, uh, I sort of wish that card was in Modern, but then I also think it might just completely break the format. So um, I felt really dirty. So this weekend, so we have we're lucky that we have a uh, a thirty man Legacy tournament every Sunday at our local wow. shop. Uh-huh. Um, and I sleeved up uh, Reliquary Retreat in, <laughs> in nice. Legacy. And I was running True Name Nemesises in the deck, because I was also running a Stoneforge Mystic package. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I versed Merfolk. And my Merfolk opponent was so sad when he had two Lords in play. And I had True Name Nemesis in play. So his Lords pumped my True Name. Yep. And then, so and then I, yeah, <laughs> Savage. And then the shut door, I Stoneforge Mystic for Jet and yep. killed everything else. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I definitely recommend anytime you want to come out to Boston, man, uh, we'll, we'll treat you right. We'll, we'll, uh, sleeve up a legacy Merfolk for you and you can play. I would love to do that. That would be great. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, yeah, I guess, I guess we kind of beat everything there is to do out of, uh, out of legacy. Not nearly as uh, argumentative as I was thinking it was going to be, but <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. I'll try to do better next time. <laughs> That's always the thing. It's like you you argue on Twitter and then you meet in real life and you're like, oh, I guess we we actually agree on a lot of points. Oh, what, what do you mean we're all <laughs> reasonable adults? What is this? I thought we played Twitter, magic. Twitter is just the word. Like it's it's a combination. I admit that I am not as set in my opinion, as I was when we had that conversation, I was also stuck on a delayed flight with a drunk woman in front of me. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, re- I looked back right before we took off, and I'm like, huh, I'm probably in a bad mood. Yeah, well, I felt the same way, because, like, we're going back and forth. I'm like, man, I really like this guy, and we've never actually met, but I'm a huge fan of his podcast, and now this is not a good start. <laughs> part, part of it, too, is, like, there's so much lost in, like, the just a text message like it's hard to un- understand tone in that way you know so uh and twitter is not a great place for 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 yeah it literally it's just like it because you have to you have to use like the shortest 
words possible and phrases possible, and that just makes everything look harsh. Yeah, the worst, too, is when other people start chiming in, and there's, like, four or five people in the conversation, and now you're trying to reply to everyone so you get everyone involved, and <laughs> you have everyone's name, like, all right, my 140 characters is down to 30. Yes. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so, Corbin, we uh, we don't do shout-outs on this podcast. We do uh, scoops into top eight. Uh, anyone uh, you'd like to scoop in the top eight today? Uh, I'd like to scoop my boy Ray Perez Jr. into the top eight because he took an innovative standard deck to the finals of Grand Prix. Where were we last weekend? All these cities blur together. Indianapolis. <laughs> <laughs> Grand Prix Indianapolis last weekend. So um, I know you guys don't follow standard as closely as you know I do for work, but people thought standard was a three-deck format that was never going to have any innovation and there was a ton of innovation last weekend, and Ray Perez, Jr., your 2013 Rookie of the Year, had a great run to the finals, so uh, definitely scoop him into the top eight. Hell yeah. What about you, Pat? Uh, you know what? I don't, I'll scoop Adrian in since he's going to make the call today. I think he would have had a blast talking about uh, talking about where Legacy's going and you know where Legacy's at right now, so I'll scoop him into the top eight, and I'll scoop you into Jerry. Uh, since uh, you couldn't make top eight or top four T this past weekend, <laughs> oh yeah, you barely missed out. You hit the Jerry spot again. I'll scoop you in the top. <laughs> yeah, top our store. Yeah, our store pays out to uh, top four, and right. our store actually has it. So it's about a four hundred dollar uh, store credit payout for top four. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the legacy, and every single week I miss top four on breakers, <laughs> and this week was no exception. <laughs> Went three two, missed on breakers. Jeez. <laughs> um, I have a couple. So number one, definitely want to scoop in Evan Nyquist of uh, Team Tusk down in uh, the good old boys in the south. He was awesome doing all the legwork today. I probably got about thirty Facebook messages from him. Just go, going over all the things that were happening in Legacy. You know, I'm sitting at my desk doing work and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> so, Evan, you are awesome. Uh, thanks for sharing everything. And we didn't even bring up most of the stuff. So, hopefully, uh, I'll, I'll bring it to light in the future. Um, also, definitely want to scoop in you, Corbin. You know, it was awesome finally getting a chance to talk to you and having you on the cast. Well, guys, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. And then finally, I also just wanted to scoop in all these awesome people who have decided if Star City Games isn't going to do it, they're going to step in and fill the shoes. You know, uh, Card Kingdom out on the West Coast, Team Tusk, South Florida Magic, Eli Cassis. Uh, their list goes on and on. There's probably a bunch more that I'm missing, but definitely doesn't look like there's going to be any lack in at least those areas uh for uh some like competitive legacy tournaments and don't worry midwest we'll we'll work our way out there we'll find a way yeah for sure for sure and uh corbin if people uh you know want to find out more about you where can they find you where can they get a hold of you yeah uh i write weekly uh for mtgprice.com it comes out on thursdays uh i am on the wizards of coast coverage team so you can find me around at a lot of events Looking very busy. If you ever want to come say hi, feel free to. Um, I have Rainstorm Brewery, my podcast, that comes out Thursdays on MTG Price, if you remember, and then Fridays on Gathering Magic to everyone else. So, uh, Also, it's CHostler88 on Twitter and other social media outlets as well. No poop tweets, guys, though. Keep that in mind. <laughs> Send those to Celso. <laughs> awesome, man. Uh, sweet. Perfect. Well, Pat, you going to play us out with something sweet tonight? Yeah, I'll bump you something good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 oh.
slaves. Keep around your dress code. Always in this dress mode. That shit gon' you to your brain. So, you think I don't know that? Nigga, hold that. Nigga, hold that. Nigga, hold that. From the street, cousin, you know the drill. I'm 999 pounds, son of a mill. I'm gonna do what I wanna, quiet as kept, right? Yeah. So I'm 